share with you in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to mention a few things. Mission trip uh, for this year, we're going to be going to Kansas City, the inner city of Kansas City, and doing some work there uh, with a local church and uh, the homeless and different things like that. And so if you are interested at all in going, we're going to have our first meeting this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. right here at the church. So you can be here, get information, ask questions. If you haven't filled out an application and you're planning on going, you can do that there. Uh, you can do that here on Wednesday night as well. And then we are looking for, which we'll give you all this information when you, when you show up as well, but uh, deposits as soon as possible so that we can get all those spots reserved for who's going to be on that team and going with us. It's going to be July the 1st through the 8th. We would love for you to go on this mission trip with us. I believe that uh, mission trips are something that uh, have the potential to change your life and uh, help you to see a completely different perspective, uh, diff completely different part of our country in this regard. So we'd love for you to be here if you're interested this Wednesday at 6. Ladies of Impact, it's a ladies' night this coming Saturday, the 15th at 6 p.m. at Christine Mayfield's house. So we want you to be there for that. If you're a lady, it's going to be a great time. Men's Breakfast is coming up on Saturday, January the 29th. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up here in the next few weeks, and uh, we, we usually the men's breakfast is the third Saturday of uh, every month, but how many of you know it's kind of hard to have a men's breakfast when you're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting? So uh, we've moved it to the 29th, and so we're going to gather on that Saturday for the month of January and have a great time uh, with fellowship as men. And then uh, a couple of other things, Next Steps, if you've never been through Next Steps, we now have this uh, where it's every other month on the first two Sundays, so the next one is coming up on February the 6th and the 13th, so we have Step 1, which is all about our vision, our mission, how we're structured, all of that good information. Step 2 is how you can get involved and how you can get on a team, what the opportunities are uh, and what it looks like to serve in our church. And so we would love for you, if you've never been through Next Steps, we would love for you to go through that and get the vision of why we do what we do and how we do it and then how you can be a part of what we're doing here so that together uh, we can make a difference for the kingdom. Amen? So February the 6th and 13th, you can be there. It's at 9 a.m. during the 9 a.m. service. You can attend that and then at 1045 come in here for the 1045 service and you don't have to miss a thing. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then uh, grow groups are going to begin. Our spring semester begins the week of February 6th. So here in the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be having all of those online so that you can uh, figure out what it is that you want to be a part of, what group you want to join, and be a part in community and growing together. Um, so I want to, to, to talk. How's everybody's fast been going? Everybody been, been doing okay on the fast, right? I asked this at the 9, at the nine o'clock service, and everybody was like crickets, right? You know, everybody's like, whoo, man, it's hard. Um, but, but I believe it's, it's impactful for your life, and uh, we're setting aside time at the beginning of the year to honor God at the beginning of the year and uh, to abstain from some things that we would normally partake in so that we can spend more time in prayer, more time, intentional time in the Word and uh, seeking the Lord. And so uh, we've been, this last week, uh, there are some of you I know that have, done, that have done different things, and more than this, as a church, kind of as a baseline, we've done sugar and caffeine starting tomorrow uh, we'll continue with that, but we'll also add in uh, a food element to the fast, so more of a food fast this week. So that could look like you, um, you, you know, maybe fasting lunch every single day as you go through the week, and instead of that time when you would eat, that you would take time to pray and read God's Word. Or it could be that you're going to do a partial fast, something like sun up to sundown. So uh, as long as, as the sun is up in the sky, right, then you're going to fast and, and, uh, and, and pray and spend more intentional time that way. It could be a complete fast. Um, I believe there's power in that, and um, where you just do only liquids 
as we move forward from this, you know. Uh, I, and it, once again, I would just encourage you, it could be a Daniel fast where it's just fruits and vegetables and things like that as we go through the week. But I would encourage you to ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit again, and just say, what do you want me to do this week as we move into the next phase, if you will, of 21 days of prayer and fasting? And then uh, not this coming week, but the week after, we're going to add in a technology um, aspect to it. And so uh, we're looking forward to that and seeing what God's going to do as we uh, continue to fast and pray together as a church. And we do have our Word for the Years Transform. We do have our shirts out in the lobby. So if you want one of those, you can get one on your way out. Um, all of the older merchandise is now at a discounted rate. So if you wanted something that maybe you haven't gotten before, you can go grab that as well. And then, um, and I know I'm talking a lot before we get into the message, but there's a lot to say. Um, and then on January the 23rd, I want to remind you again that we have Give Big Weekend and Night of Worship. What is Give Big Weekend? Give Big Weekend is where we bring our best financial gift to the Lord, whatever it is that He tells you to bring, right? And the reason we tell you in advance is because God's Word says that you should decide in your heart what to give. And so we want you to have time to pray and ask the Lord, what is it for our family that, uh, you know, God's Word says that you can't serve God and money. So this is a way that we say, hey, at the beginning of the year, uh, we're going to honor you in the area of our finances. And we told you last week, we tell you every single week, there's no financial goal. All we're asking for is 100% participation. Whatever it is that God lays on your heart to do, this is a way that we're going to honor Him. And then that night, we're going to come back for a night of worship. So it's going to be awesome as we end 21 days of prayer and fasting in that way. So... Last weekend, we talked about our word as a church for 2022, which is transformed, transformed. And today we're beginning a series that we're simply calling Transformed. And we're going to talk about different topics over the next several weeks, different areas of our life where we may need to be transformed, where we may not have really opened the door of our heart or opened the door of our life to, to the Lord in certain areas, certain topics and so we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks, and, and I believe that God's really going to do something significant. And last week we discovered that to be transformed, it requires this intentional process after we get saved. So in other words, after salvation, after you surrender your life to Jesus and you, you, know, you prayed that prayer or you, you know, had that moment where you were in your room and you were drawn to, to, to surrender your life to the Lord in that moment and you did that, then from that moment on, there's a process, there's a journey that God is taking you on, and you are being transformed. And we talked about that last weekend, and so we have to be intentional to make sure that we are opening up our lives and opening up our hearts to say, God, I want to be transformed. I want to be like you. And so we discovered that uh, the original word, the Greek word for transformed, is a word that means to change after being with, changing form, and keeping with inner reality. So there's an inner reality when you, when you gave your life to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that the old is gone, the new has come. And so there, there is a new person. Your spirit has been made whole, been made perfect. But a lot of times we stop there and we don't go on the journey that God wants us to go on so that the different areas of our lives can be transformed in the inner reality. What's on the inside of us can start to come out and operate in these ways in our lives. And so we're talking about that over the next few weeks that when you surrender we're called to be transformed, and that's what this series is all about. So last week we looked at uh, a couple of uh, verses that we're calling our theme verses. One of them is in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that many of us are familiar with. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, there's our word, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In other words, when I read that, I think I have to allow my mind to be transformed so that I think differently so that I can then 
understand what God's will is for my life. And I'll agree, one translation says that whenever I understand that, that you will agree, you will see God's will for your life, and you will agree that it is best, that it is better than your will for your life, and that you would walk in God's will. And so we need to be transformed in that way. And then another verse that we looked at last week was in 2 Corinthians. But I want to add the the verses before it. We read a couple of verses last week. I want to add some verses before it to kind of give us some context as we jump in today because this is where we're going to spend most of our time talking about something that is said in this verse or in this passage. So starting in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed, for to, the, for to this day the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant. It has not been lifted because only in Christ can it be removed. And even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into His image with intensifying glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We who with unveiled faces, and we know as now that we've read the verses before it, who the people are that have the unveiled faces, right? The people with unveiled faces are the ones who are being transformed into the image of of Christ. And he said in verse 16, anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so there is no longer a veil. You can now see clearly you have turned to the Lord and the veil has been removed, right? You have connection with your heavenly father because of what Jesus did on the cross and his blood that was shed for you. And he says, those people, the ones who have turned to the Lord, that their faces are no longer, there's no longer a veil covering their face. Those people are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Can I ask you just a simple question today? Have you turned to the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Because I believe that the reality for you, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, the reality for you should be that you are being transformed into the image of Jesus. That those who have turned to the Lord are now being transformed into the image of Jesus. But how many of you would say that there are some times in our lives that we don't allow ourselves to be transformed? That we've got our heels dug into the sand and we're like, you know what, it's my way. I don't really want to do it God's way. I don't want to be transformed in this area of my life. But we should be being transformed. When we're a believer, a follower of Jesus, there should be a transformation process that is happening. And if you're taking notes today, I've titled this message for part one of our Transform series, simply this, Transformed into Christ's Image. I want to talk to you about being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and what that looks like, I think, practically in some areas of our lives. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, talking about being transformed or being renewed into the image of Jesus, says, Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off the old self with its practices, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. We see that the same word, the word that's used here in Colossians 3, 10 and in Romans 8, 29 and in other places in the Bible... This word for image, it literally means a mirror-like replication. 
One, one definition of it is not just a shadow, but a replication of Jesus. Not just, and here's the way I picture it in my mind. It's not just me saying, I want to kind of be like Jesus. I want to kind of do my life and live my life like Jesus. No, it is saying that when you are being transformed into the image of Christ, that you are becoming a replicate of Jesus. You, are, you, you should be, coming like, be becoming like a mirror image or representation, a close resemblance, a replication of Jesus. And we can go all the way back to the very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible to discover that this is God's desire for all of us. Because this is what it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our, say it with me, image. After our likeness to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth itself and every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. When God said in our image and in our likeness, I think that he was saying we're going to create human beings to resemble us. Right? The Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're going to create man and woman, and they are going to be people that are going to resemble, they are going to have our image on the earth. It has always been God's desire for you to bear his image, to be a replicate of him. You were created in the image of God. And we can also better understand the picture of us being transformed into the image of Jesus by looking at how Jesus was described in the Bible. Because the same word that is used to describe us being transformed into Christ's image is the same word that is used when it talks about Jesus being the image of God the Father. So in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image, same word, of God. Colossians 1.15 says it this way, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he even said it this way. He said, they said, show us the Father. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the image of the Father. I am the replicate. I like You can look at me and you can see God the Father. And I was thinking about this in the same way that we can read the word of God and it tells us that we can look at Jesus and how he lived his life and how he operated and all of these things and we can see that is what God is like. When we look at Jesus, he said, you can look at me and you can see the Father. That is what God is like when we look at Jesus in the word of God. But in the same way, people should be able to look at your life and my life and they should be able to say, that must be what Jesus is like. Because we're being transformed into the image of Christ. So when people look at your life, do they look at you and say, that must be what Jesus is like. If that person is a follower of Jesus, if that person is a believer or a Christian, whatever term you want to put on it, if that person is following after Jesus, then that must be what Jesus is like. Because according to the word of God, it says that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. We are being transformed into his image. And so for the next few moments, I just want to focus in on a few things. Uh, things that Jesus did or characteristics that Jesus 
uh, had when he was, that he took on, that he displayed for us when he walked on the earth. Because if we're, here's what I have discovered in my life. That if, if you don't define success, all right, let's go here for just a moment. If you don't define success, you will never know when you have gotten there. So we could say, for instance, we could say, I want to lose weight in 2022. How are you going to know when you have achieved what it is that you are trying to achieve? Or you can say, I want to lose 15 pounds in 2022. Now I know what it looks like to be where I want to be. And I think there are some characteristics and some things that Jesus did that if he said, if you look at me, you can see the Father. You look at me, you want to know what the Father looks like? Look at what I'm doing. I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't tell me to say. I am the image of God, the Father on earth, God with us. Right? And so if we're being transformed into his image, his likeness, being a replicate of him, then I think it's important for us to know what what did Jesus display? What does it look like to know I'm being transformed into the image of Christ in my life in these ways? And this is not going to be an exhaustive list. But I think there are just, I'm going to talk about three things for just the next few minutes. Three things that as I was looking through the word of God and what Jesus did and how he lived his life and and the things that he operated in, and what he did for people, there were three things that stuck out to me that I felt like the Holy Spirit said that if there is ever a time that we need to be transformed in these ways, it would be now. That if we would look around, there are people, there are people all around us. We live in a, in a country, we live in a world that needs what we're about to talk about, and we have to be intentional to say, hey, I'm going to be transformed. And of course, you know, one thing I think about as we spend time with the Lord and we pray, we read the word and we seek first the kingdom of God and all of the things that we're called to do, I believe that one thing that you're going to see in your life should be the fruit of the Spirit, right? Because where the root is, the root is what produces the fruit. So if your roots are down in Jesus, if you're, if, if, if you're in the word, if you're in prayer and you're all of these things, then your roots are going deep, then the fruit is going to, to show where your roots are what you're rooted in. Does that make sense? So the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll just read it real quickly. I think that these are some of the things in Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I think that these are things that, that are going to be produced, right? The, the fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives are these things. So as we're being transformed into the image of Christ, the one who is transforming us is going to begin to produce this fruit out of our lives. But I think there are also some characteristics we can look at of what Jesus did that can help us know what it looks like to be being transformed into the image of Christ. And so here's the first thing. We could talk about many things, but I just want to talk about these three things specifically today. Here's the first one. It's compassion. Compassion. Somebody say compassion. Are you a person of compassion? Jesus was always truthful, but at the same time, he was always compassionate. He was always truthful. He is the truth. But at the same time, he was always compassionate. Look at uh, this instance in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with 
compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I picture this, Jesus shows up on the scene and we can read different instances in scripture where Jesus shows up and he was moved with compassion or he had compassion on somebody or he saw the situation that somebody was in and he had compassion in that moment. And in this instance, Jesus shows up and he says, it says he was moved with compassion because he looked around and it was like people were sheep without a shepherd. And in this moment, I can, I can see I can see what this would be like for us, but I think it would have been the same for Jesus that he looks at these people as he shows up on the scene and he's like, wow, they just don't know. They're just doing their own thing. They just don't completely get it. They are like sheep without a shepherd and I want to step in and I want to help them. I want to set them free. I want to change the way that they think. Come on, how many of you know that when Jesus was on the earth, he changed the way a lot of people thought? A lot of people thought. I mean, he, like, a lot of what he was teaching was against thinking that they already had. And he's trying to give them a new way of thinking. Like, this is, okay, you've heard it said this way, but this is what I tell you. You've heard it said this way, but this is what I tell you. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples went with him, accompanied by a large crowd. As he approached the town gate... He saw a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So this lady has lost her husband, and now her only son has died. And when the Lord saw her, look at verse 13, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Then Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus had compassion when people were hurting. He had compassion for people that were lost, that were like sheep without a shepherd, people that were, were, were claiming to be Christian, but the fruit that was producing in their life didn't show that they were true followers of Jesus. He had compassion on all of these people. He was a man of compassion. And these are just a few instances that we can see Jesus being compassionate. I think about when Lazarus dies and he shows up on the scene and Mary and Martha are there. And what we would consider the shortest verse in the Bible. That Jesus wept. On the scene, seeing what was going on, Jesus wept. There was compassion. He was a person of compassion. Jesus never looked away from people. He always looked to them or upon them and had compassion. Just a few things I put down here. Jesus took took time to notice people. The compassion in his heart, he took time because of that to notice people. I think about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And what did he do? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. No, I'm sorry. For the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus, when he's walking by, he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, hey, you come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And when you read the end of the story, there was something that happened. Jesus took time to notice him in the tree, knowing what was going on in his life, knowing what he had been about. Goes into his house, and the next thing that we see, Zacchaeus is not only making things right, he's making things right times some. How many of you know something happened when Zacchaeus sat down with Jesus? In his house. 
But it all started because I believe Jesus was walking by and he took time to notice somebody who was trying to see. And I don't even know that Zacchaeus really knew everything that he was trying to see. He just knew that this is Jesus and so I want to see, like, what is, what is all the commotion about? How many of you have people in your life that you know they're looking for something? And they may not completely know what they're looking for, but you know what they're looking for. And how many of us take the time out of the compassion of our heart to notice people? Jesus took time to notice people. He understood their needs, and he desired to help them. And so my question to you is, are you moved with compassion when you see someone who doesn't know Jesus personally? Are you moved with compassion when you see someone who isn't living for him? Are you moved with compassion when you see someone who is going through a difficult time in their life? It could be at work, at school, at home. It could be an acquaintance. It could be a family member. I believe that when we are being transformed into the image of Christ, we will display compassion. And this is something that I believe we need now. I think that we need to display what Jesus displayed when he saw people. And there is a such thing as righteous anger. But some of us are getting angry with people when compassion for people and to look on them and say, like Jesus said, like, it's just like a sheep without a shepherd. They just don't know. They're just not choosing it. And instead of whatever I want to do, my compassion is going to lead me to pray. My compassion is going to lead me to, you know, sit down with them and, hey, how are you doing? How can I help you? We need to be people of compassion. Here's, here's the second thing that I see in the life of Jesus and that I think we should see in our lives as we're transformed into the image of him, and that's forgiveness. If anyone had a reason not to forgive, wouldn't it have been Jesus? We're talking about the Son of God, the Word made flesh, lived a perfect life, never sinned, laid his life down for you and me. And in the midst of his life and all of this, people were constantly coming against him because they didn't like him. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the people who didn't quite get it or didn't like the way that he was doing things, eventually led to the place where he was crucified. And look at what, while he's on the cross, lived a perfect, sinless life. The people that he came to die for have put him on a cross. And this is what it says. This is how Luke records it in Luke 23. He says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his garments by casting lots. In the middle of the most difficult thing. Looking into the eyes of the people that he came to die for. He says, Father, this is his prayer. Father, 
forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was a person of forgiveness. I like Peter in the Bible. Does anybody like Peter in the Bible? Many of us can relate to Peter. You read the stories that have Peter in them. This is Peter, who is a lot like us. He approached Jesus one time and had a conversation with Jesus. And this is how the conversation went in Matthew chapter 18. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not just seven times, but 77 times. And some translations say, that's worded differently. Some translations say 70 times seven. Whatever, whatever translation of the Bible you're reading. But Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how, here, a few things that I find interesting, intriguing about this, this little conversation. Is Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? How many times should I forgive the other person that says they're following you? How many times shall I forgive my brother if he sins against me? And then he just, you know, like seven times. I mean, if he does the same thing to me seven times after I've already communicated, like, I really don't want, you know, like, that, I don't want you to do that. Like, that's hurtful. Should I, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus says, no, don't, not just seven times. I tell you, 70 times seven. And here's what I think Jesus is communicating. I don't think the number is as important as the heart behind what he's saying. Because what Jesus is communicating, Peter is saying, like, he, he's telling Jesus. I mean, like, he's not telling him, but he's implying there's somebody, and it could, maybe it was, like, one of the people that are close around. They're all following Jesus, and he's like, this guy keeps hurting me. Like, how many times, he keeps sinning against me. How many, times should I, how many times should I forgive him? And Jesus says, don't, it's not as much about the number of times that you need to forgive him. It's about, you need to be a person of forgiveness. You just need to be a person who forgives. How many of us sitting in this room would say that we've been forgiven of a lot? That when you came to faith in Christ, you were forgiven of a lot. A lot. And I started asking myself some questions that I want to ask you as we talk about forgiveness and thinking like, are you a forgiving person? Are you a forgiving person? Do you tend to hold a grudge? When things happen to you? Do you hold a grudge with people when things happen to you? Because I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that my Lord and Savior doesn't hold a grudge against me for all of the things that I've done. That when I surrender my life to Him, and even as I walk with Him, forgiveness is still there. Every day, forgiveness. The things that I've wandered off into and I repent and I turn back to him, forgiveness. Every time. He's not holding a grudge against me. He's not holding a grudge against you. He just wants you to put your faith in his son, Jesus, so that you can be made righteous, so that you can be made right with God, so that you can have a relationship with him, so that you can then begin to do the good works that he planned for you to do from the very beginning of time. He wants you to have that relationship, and his forgiveness is not something that you have to earn. It's something you receive. Jesus already did everything that you need to be forgiven. Everything. But how many of us, when we've been forgiven of much, and we won't read the story, but there's a story in the Bible where the master forgave a ton.
ton of stuff, ton of money for this servant. And then that servant turned around and held it against the person that was under him. And when they brought him back to the master, he said, I forgave you of however many times the amount that you owed me. And then you turned around and held this little bitty offense against that person and wouldn't forgive them of the debt that they owed you. We're called to be people who forgive. Jesus was a person, when he was on the earth, he was a forgiving person. Are you quick to forgive? Is there someone that comes to your mind right now that you may need to forgive? That as we talk about forgiveness, you, you begin to get a little uncomfortable because there's somebody, and, you know, and as soon as you hear the word forgiveness, they come to your mind every single time. And today, I believe that the Lord, there's an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to be a person who forgives. Somebody said it this way once. They said, forgiveness is setting a person free and then realizing the prisoner was you. A lot of times, we're holding things against people that they have long forgotten. That they don't even think that much about. And we think that we're punishing them by holding a grudge, by holding back forgiveness. And I just don't know if I can forgive you for that. And in essence, whenever we choose to forgive, there's a prisoner being set free, but the prisoner is us. It's the person offering forgiveness. Now we can walk in freedom because we have offered forgiveness to that person. I believe that when we're being transformed into the image of Christ, we will display forgiveness. Jesus modeled it. He displayed it. We're called to be people who forgive as we're transformed into his image. And then here's the third thing that I want to talk about is prayer. I was preparing for this, and I was thinking that Jesus was the literal Son of God. He was God himself, the Word made flesh, and as God himself, fully God, fully man, he took regular time to pray. And there's one instance in particular, I love these two verses, because I believe it gives us a picture of what we, we can relate so much to what I'm about to read to you, and you may not even know it yet. This is in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, But the news about Jesus spread all the more, and great crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I love that the, the word in the middle here that starts verse 16 is the word yet. Because it tells me that this is something that's happening in his life. However, even though that was going on, he frequently made time to pray. To get alone, to go out into the wilderness, and to pray. And I was reading this, but the news about Jesus spread all the more. And great crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. You know what I, you know what I picture in my mind when I read verse 15? busyness there was a lot to do and there were a lot of people that wanted him to do a lot of things and people the bible even records that jesus would get away to pray and while he's away praying people would be looking for him they would get in a boat to go to the other side of the lake and when they got there people would be waiting on him there was a lot going on in jesus's life i mean we're talking about savior of the world 
I don't know about you, that's not on my resume. And if Jesus knew I have to have frequent times where I get away and I spend time in prayer, can I ask all of us a question, just for something for us to think about today? Why do we feel like we don't need to pray? Why in the world would I try to go about my day and live my life without prayer? When the Son of God, while he was on the earth, frequently, and he even said, I don't do anything, I don't say anything that the Father's not doing or saying. He frequently spent time in prayer. And I think we need to spend time in prayer. And we're right in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. But I started thinking this last week, why? And listen, this is not, this is not to, to make you feel condemned in any way. This is just, hey, like, what is going on in my life? Why do we wait until we have a corporate 21 days of prayer? to start praying because I would submit to you that there are many of us that we don't have frequency in our time with the Lord in prayer and can I ask you a question how are you going to have direction or strength or ability or wisdom or vision for what God is doing in decisions that you need to make, what you're doing at work, who come on, single people, who you're supposed to marry, and, and you're not praying. Jesus said, Luke said, I don't think it's a coincidence that verse 15 is in there. And I wanted to put them together because it's Luke is pointing out there it was busy. How many of you feel like you're busy? There's a ton of stuff going on. We got to take our kids here, and then we got to be at this, and then we have this meeting, and looking at the week, and you're like, I don't even know. I mean, some of you woke up this morning, you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this week because there's just so much that I got to do. And Jesus, the Son of God, frequently got away to pray. He had to break away and pray. Even in the midst of all the crowds, and all the people, hey, can you, heal my, can you heal my cousin? Hey, can you, hey, I saw what you did back there. We've been following you around for a few days. And so can you, heal my, can you heal my friend? Can you heal my sister? Can you heal me? This is what I got going on in my life. Hey, can you teach me something else? Because I heard what you taught back there. And I know there's got to be more than that. And so I just want to follow you around and be taught by you. And I just want, like, constant. And Jesus frequently got away to pray. So why in the world would we not be people of prayer? I want to bring the worship team back. A couple of things, I want to end in this way, a couple of things that I notice about how Jesus prayed that I believe are effective. Here's the first one. Jesus always prayed according to the will of the Father. He always prayed according to the will of the Father. Many of us, uh, we know the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested and, and eventually crucified, where he's in the, the garden and he prays and he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I, like, if there's any other way, will you take this cup from me? But nevertheless... Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was always praying according 
to the will of the Father. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have before him. Look at this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we already possess what we have asked him or asked of him. How do I, how do I know the will of God? Well, I think that one, one, a few different things. One way is Romans 12, 2 says that be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So when you begin to be transformed in your mind to where you're thinking differently, you have a kingdom perspective, kingdom mentality, then you'll begin to know the will of God. But here's another thing. You can go through your Bible. Listen, I would encourage you this week, go through your Bible, and there are several instances in the Bible where it tells you, this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. And to even begin to go through those and read those, what is God's will for my life? Because if you, if you don't understand, if you don't understand God, if you don't know what his word says, if you, if, if, if you don't know what his will is according to his word, then how can you pray according to his will? Because this verse says that those who pray, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we already possess what we've asked for. And I think Jesus displayed this beautifully, praying according to the Father's will. Here's the second thing I noticed about prayer. Jesus always prayed with the right motives. Every time he prayed, it was always with the right motives. When he was teaching the disciples to pray, it was with the right motives. Anything that he did, it was always with the right motives. And here's what James 4, 3 says. And when you do ask... You do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may squander it on your pleasures. Can I submit to you today that there are some things that we need to, we need to allow the, the Holy Spirit to work on our heart because we are asking for things, but we're asking with the wrong motive. And if we'll allow the Lord to work in our lives and give us the right motives, then we'll begin to pray and ask for the right things because we'll have the heart of God. And James tells us, he says, and when you ask, you don't get it because you ask with the wrong motive. And then he tells us the motive. He says, you're asking so that you can have that so that you can squander it on your own pleasure. So that you can do what you want with it. We, we, have to, we have to pray with the right motive. Praying for people with the right motive. Praying during 21 days of prayer and fasting with the right motive. Lord, I just want to draw closer to you. I want to know you intimately. I want to be closer to you. I want to know you like I've never known you before. Will you show me something in your word today that helps me to know you or that I can apply to my life? We've got to pray with the right motives. And here's what the Bible tells us about prayer. The second, the second part of James 5, 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. The prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Who is a righteous man? Those who are in Christ Jesus. When you became a follower of Jesus and you prayed that prayer, you surrendered your life to Jesus, you became righteous according to what Jesus did for you. 
not in your own power, not in your own strength, not in your own works, not in anything that you can do. You received what Jesus did for you, and you became right with God. And this says that the prayer of that person has the power to prevail. If the prayer of people who have placed their faith in Jesus has great power to prevail, why would we not pray? Why would we not pray? If we believe that the word of God is true, why would we not pray? The, the prayer of those being transformed into the image of Christ is powerful. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I believe that when we're being transformed into the image of Christ, we will be people of prayer. And Jesus displayed it for us. And so based on the example of the one whose image we are being transformed into, what are, what are we looking for in our lives? I believe that when we are being transformed, we'll have compassion for people. We'll have forgiveness for those who hurt us. And we will have regular times of prayer. Regular times of prayer. And I want to end in this way, and then I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to sing one final song. But I want to give you, this is just from me. I want to give you two, uh, two pieces of encouragement, if we can say it that way. This is just from me. Because I, what I felt coming into today was that there are, there are many people that you have been trying to be intentional with prayer. And you went into 21 days of prayer and fasting, and last Sunday you went home and you thought, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to fast. I'm going to be serious about it. I'm going to pray. And then you got into day one and you got into day two and, and it felt awkward. And you were trying to pray because you've never, maybe you've never been a person who has really taken time to pray all that much. And so you, you did whatever you, like you got in your closet or you sat down in your chair, you were driving down the road and you were like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. Here's, here's what I just want to encourage you just from my heart to yours. Fight through the awkward. Whenever you met somebody new for the first time, if you really wanted to know them, you fought through the awkward. If you really felt like this is a person I want in my life, this is a person that I want to be connected to. This is, Come on, when you met your spouse for the first time before they were your spouse... You fought through the awkward. You're like, this is my person right here. I don't care how awkward it gets. I'm going to fight through the awkward. Fight through the awkward. And here's the second thing before we pray. Fight through the awkward and pray what's on your heart. Communicate to God what's on your heart. Take some time in worship. Read the word. Many of you have been on, I was blown away at how many people jumped on the, the link. Pray what's on your heart. Just tell the Lord, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I'm feeling. Come on, just tell him, like, this feels awkward. Will you help me? Will you help me? I don't really know what to say. Here's the great thing about the God that you serve. He wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with you. 
And so even when it feels awkward, you fight through the awkward. You say, you know what, God, this feels awkward to me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't really know what to say, but here's what's on my heart. And here's what I've been dealing with. And I just want to thank you for everything that you've blessed me with. I want to thank you for this house. I want to thank you for my kids. I want to thank you for my spouse. I want to thank you for the job that I have, even though I don't like it sometimes. I want to thank you for all of the things that you've blessed me with. And when you begin to be grateful and you begin to be thankful, um, you'll, there'll be plenty to say. And just tell him, just thank him. And say, and here's, and here's what I've got going on today. Here's the meeting that I'm about to walk into today. Will you help me in this? Will you help me in this meeting? I want to. I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't say. I just want to say everything that you want me to say. I, I know that you're going with me, and so I thank you that you're going with me. Just pray what's on your heart. Fight through the awkward. And pray what's on your heart. And as we consistently spend time with the Lord, we're consistently spending time with the Lord. Listen. Go through, I mentioned it a minute ago, the, the statements in the Bible where it says, this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. Go find those statements and pray about that. Th because you know that you know that you know. It's in God's written word that this is his will for you if you're in Christ Jesus. And, and, and pray that through. God, I want to I be able to do that. I want to be that person. So Lord, right now we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are transforming us from the inside out. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be people of compassion, that we would be people of forgiveness, and that we would be people of prayer. Lord, that as we go through our week and we continue with this week of prayer and fasting, that we would fight through the awkward that we would be thankful, that we would just thank you for everything. God, you have done so much for us. If you never did another thing, you've done enough. You care so much for us. Lord, I pray we would cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, that we would pray what's on our heart, that we would give our anxiety, that we would give our fears, we would give our worries over to you. That with a thankful heart, we would spend time with you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in every person's heart and life. As the prayer team comes down, Lord, I just thank you for opportunities to receive prayer. Lord, you know that every one of us need prayer from time to time. Maybe it's over something specific that we're walking through. So Lord, I just ask that as we sing this last song, that if there's anybody here today, Holy Spirit, if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, I pray that you would draw them for prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.